It's your girl, Marisa, and you are listening to the Heard That with Marisa Tigney podcast. What's up, Heard That Nation? Y'all have asked, and you've asked, and you've asked, and it's finally open. The Heard That With Marisa online store at heardthatwithmarisa.com. I got the merch. Finally happened. Swaggy tees, amazing hats, other kinds of different merchandise that I got on there. Check it out today. Thank you for supporting your girl. Uh, Fill up a shopping bag with all kinds of stuff. Give away as gifts or keep it for yourself. All kinds of amazing swag and merchandise. Check it out today. Heard that with Marisa.com. I appreciate your support. One of the amazing things that I love to do with my time, I love working out and serving in the community. And through that time, I have met some amazing people and I have met some extraordinary kids. And the one thing, believe it or not, that kids love and ask for is books. Because many of them I found that they, they absolutely love reading, which is absolutely incredible. Um, I am so proud that I've met an incredible man uh, by the name of Trevor Romaine, and he is an author. He's an illustrator that has the most amazing, amazing literature for kids and for educators and for teachers, as well as parents. You have to check out his books. You have to check out his digital downloads. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. If you go to TrevorRomain.com, uh, T-R-E-V-O-R-R-O-M-A-I-N, no E at the end.com. Check out all of his materials that he has, all his books, all his literature and digital downloads. You can save 15%. All heard that listeners. If you check it out, save 15% at the end of your checkout. Use the code heard that H-E-A-R-D-T-H-A-T and save 15%. You, I'm telling you what, it is some of the best materials out there that can help children and families become happier, healthier, and more confident. So use the code heard that save 15% off at trevorromaine.com today. What's up, heard that nation listening in the United States and around the world. You are now listening to the heard that with Marisa Tigney podcast. If you're watching right now on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and make sure that you are in the know of every single episode that comes out. I am beyond excited to have my incredible friend here who has done everything I'm just waiting for him. I'm waiting for him to be in the Smithsonian Museum one day, which I believe that he will be because when I tell you, he has done so many incredible things 
not only from where he is from, and I'll have him talk to you about that soon and share a story about that, but for United States and around the world and his, his incredible, incredible bio, Prasanna Raghunathan, he worked as a lawyer, he is in about the diversity and inclusion and consultant and a, and a speaker, and, and he's in on social media. And when I tell you, you got to follow this man when it comes to award season because 99.9% .9 of his picks that he has during award season, especially the Oscars, are spot on. I always look forward to him when he comes up with his picks of who's going to win and why and all the movies that he has watched. Um, he has an incredible new book that he has with his mom that's coming out, Made with Prima, and we're going to talk about that. Please, everybody heard that nation that is watching and listening. Welcome this amazing, amazing man, Prasanna, to the Heard That podcast. Welcome, my friend. Oh, thank you so much, Marissa, for such a beautiful introduction and so much enthusiasm. I am thrilled to be here with you and the Heard That community to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it for the last few months. So thank you for having me. You are so welcome. If anybody knows Prasanna, knows that he you know, he's known for wearing some amazing bright colors, but it goes with his personality. If you meet him within the first two seconds, you know he radiates so much light. And I want to know from you, Prasanna, because you're such a, a, an amazing soul that's needed in this world, especially what's going on today um, with, with diversity, inclusion, and so much stuff. And, and what I want to know from you is, did you have that growing up with your with your parents and it was always, you know, they wanted to make sure that you felt seen, that you, you know, had lived an amazing childhood. Because many people and you and I of color, sometimes we do not want to embrace who we are at times because of where we are at. When I was growing up um, in the neighborhood before we had moved, there wasn't a lot of people that looked like me uh, in my neighborhood. And so it was to a point where I wanted to be someone else or, you know, the, the brownness of my beautiful face and my skin. Now I call it beautiful. Back then I was ashamed of it because, you know, of so many people that were in my neighborhood were white. Um, and so when I walked outside, I was like, okay, where's the beautiful United States of America where I live? You are not in the United States, but you, you look out when you walk outside and you see, okay, where's everybody that looks like me? How was that like growing up with your, your parents and, and you accepting you know, who you are and, and your surroundings around you and your family? That's a beautiful question. Yeah, I, I kind of think about my experience. I think in some ways we had a similar childhood in that um, in my elementary school, there was maybe four of us in the entire school of 500 kids that mm -hmm. weren't white. So everyone else was white, um, myself and three other students weren't. Uh, and it was an interesting experience to navigate because at home, my parents were deeply committed to making sure that our cultural traditions from India threaded into the stories that they told, threaded into the food that my mom made, threaded into like our cultural celebrations throughout the year. Mm -hmm. But it was almost like living in two worlds living at home where I felt completely myself, completely embraced, completely connected with history and my story and my family and my community. And then stepping outside of my front door into a world that didn't feel like it 
included me. It didn't feel like I felt like I belonged. And so for a long time, it was trying to discover who I was in both of these spaces and how I could connect more seamlessly to the person I was at home and bring that person into the rest of my life. In hindsight, I can see that. In mm -hmm. hindsight, I can see the struggle of like living that experience in a world that treated me like the other. In the moment, I think I didn't understand the depths of it. And like you were saying, in many ways, sometimes pushed against it, whether it was I didn't want to talk about family or cultural traditions at home. I was nervous about the foods that I ate and what that would like what I was packing for lunch and, and mm -hmm. the stories that that told. And so there was a bit of me wanting to fit in because I didn't understand that I could be who I was in the world because mm -hmm. there were no blueprints about what that looked like. And so when you and I talk a lot about film and television, we talk about representation mattering. And mm -hmm. representation matters because it shows the world, not just people from our communities, that our lives have value, that we can be the agents of our story, that we can star in our own narratives. Those movies not only transform our vision for ourselves, but mm -hmm. it transforms a global understanding of who we are and what we can contribute to the world. And so, yeah, that was a long answer, but for me, it was- No, that's, that's perfect. Those two worlds and always, I mean, I guess that struggle continues even to this day. Which is really, and this is why I call you, and I will call you a champion of diversity. And I'll say it for this reasons, because you are not afraid to go there when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And especially in Hollywood, where you have an opportunity, a project, a movie, a television show has an opportunity to include diversity and uh, all different walks of life into their project. And what was sad to me is that the big scandal that happened with the Hollywood Foreign Press and you know the Golden Globes did not air on television this year. We happened to hear it by happenstance who won and everything else. And that whole narrative, number one to me, that was shocking how they were not that diverse. I, I read um, a powerful tweet that you had put out during that time, as well as other celebrities and you know, reading about Tom Cruise giving back his Golden Globes because of that fact that all of that scandal that had broke out. When you had heard about uh, everything that was happening with the Hollywood Foreign Press, um, not having enough diversity people, anyone diverse on their staff. I mean, when you hear Hollywood Foreign, to me, I'm like, okay, they got all kinds of diversity and people of color and representation on there and disappointing to me in finding out that it wasn't true. When you heard all of that that happened, Prasanna, and, and all um, the, the scandal had broke out and then you know the Golden Globes not airing, what was your thoughts about that? And part two of that question is like, do you think that they are going to move the needle in the right direction when it comes to uh, making their panel more diverse? That's a great question. I mean, I would say there's two reactions. One, I was not at all surprised because mm -hmm. as much as we like to think that um, the lack of representation, the lack of othering is like an isolated incident and is not the reality. After working for 16 years in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, I can tell mm -hmm. you that concepts of racism, of sexism, of homophobia, ageism, ableism, they exist across all organizations, all industries. No organization is immune from the tentacles of these 
pervasive and corrosive notions of othering, of exclusion, of marginalization. They exist mm -hmm. everywhere. So for me, that is the baseline truth of our shared lived experience. Mm -hmm. What was surprising to me, however, was an organization that talked about being global in reach, being myopic or very limited in scope of its vision for both its membership, but also for what celebrating excellence meant, what including excellence meant. In this case, it wasn't even about these principles of like, they talk a lot about unconscious bias, the idea that we're not aware that we hold these biases. I mm -hmm. often like push back on that idea saying, everybody knows we have biases. So I'm no longer about the conversation where we eschew our responsibility and say, this is not on me. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association through many emails and communications very clearly showed in its membership a strong inclination um, towards racism, anti-Black racism. And there were a lot of things that needed to be done to reform that organization. Mm -hmm. Am I hopeful about change? I'm excited about the fact that there was an industry rallying cry for change and that there was an accountability mechanism put in place saying that unless change happens, we will not air the Golden Globes. So NBC said that unless change happens, so many artists said we will not participate in the Golden Globes. So many studios said we will not submit projects for consideration at the Globes. So change happens when everybody across all dimensions of diversity, all stratospheres of power, all industry and background come together collectively to say no more no longer, we demand change, we demand it now, and until there is change, we will not participate. So for me, what was the most surprising and exciting thing was that people across the industry saw the importance of reform and got about the work of using their power, their voices, their status to demand that change. That for me was the most exciting part. That was powerful because I saw that across the board, especially well, high profile people, people uh, that had put out emails and tweets and posts and, and went and did videos on their social media about um, taking a stance for others in, 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 in making sure that the Hollywood Foreign Press heard it loud and clear what they have been doing for a long time. It, is, it was like oil and water. That's what was so surprising to me and that blew my mind is that they would say that they everything that you just said, if they are accepting, you know, in Black Lives Matter, we're accepting and everything else, but the dirty details behind the scenes, to me still, it, I, I was just stunned. I, I was absolutely, uh, was absolutely stunned of what was going on and what was not going on yeah. uh, when, when it came to that, yeah. And I think it's so powerful when you say this, because I think what 2020, demonstrated to us is that the global collective consciousness is no longer willing to have organizations say something, but then not back it up with action. So if you're going to say that you stand up against anti-Black racism, that you believe that Black Lives Matter, then we want you as an organization to put that commitment into action. So I always say this in the DEI space, start, stop with the platitudes, start with the plans. So I no longer want to just hear a beautiful tweet. I no longer want to just see a statement. I want to see what financial resources you're putting into this work, mm. what tangible commitments you have around hiring, what tangible commitments you have around promotions, because so much of the time hiring is focused on entry-level roles and there's no mm -hmm. focus on who's in leadership. 
I want to see who's in leadership. I want to see what you're doing to foster a culture of inclusion, because hiring is one thing. You hire someone and bring them into an organization that's toxic. Guess what? They're going to leave. And rightly so, because they feel harmed. They feel traumatized. So we want to create organizations that are inclusive and safe. So for me, the work now is your statement is a signal of the work you have done or the work mm -hmm. you are committed to do. Your statement in and of itself is not the action and I don't want it anymore if it is the sole action you're taking. Okay, you need to be president of the Hollywood Foreign Press. That was bravo, my friend. That was bravo. And, and here's the thing that's coming up because like I said, I, I enjoy watching your, your videos that you had put out as well as your tweets and your posts and your, your blogs that you put out during award season. I think it's my favorite time of the year, especially when you come up with who is going to win and what and why. And this year for the Oscars, we have, I believe this is historic because we have three hosts, three of them all women, yeah. two of them of color. And then the producers, both of them are of color because it's Will Packer and um, I'm losing her right. Shayla Cowan, who is part of the Will Packer Productions, are producing the Oscars this year. So big, bold statement coming out the box already for the Oscars. So that right there, I'm excited about. The Oscar nominations came out, Proz. Yeah. So <laughs> I, was, I was like, okay, yep. I knew they were going to get nominated. I knew they were going to get nominated. Okay, yep. I figured they would get to. And then they get to the best actress category and there's no Lady Gaga for House of Gucci yeah. and there's no Jennifer Hudson for respect, which to me, I feel respect as much as if it was a good movie, I think it got swept under the rug with all the other projects that came out afterwards because I was really hoping not only for Jennifer Hudson to get some recognition, but I was hoping for Marlon Wayans who a lot of people did not think he could carry a serious role as Ted White. He, I had to watch a couple of comedies after watching him in this movie to get back to, okay, he's just acting this real life character. Oh my gosh, because he was so powerful in that movie and he didn't get the recognition to deserve. And I think respect the, the project as a whole was overshadowed by a lot of great movies that did come out before or after um, what was your thoughts when you saw the nominations come out and who did you feel got snubbed? Well, it's a great question. Uh, I think you were very right about respect. I think the challenge with Oscar nominations every year is that they tend to go to films that are released in the latter, latter three months of the year. So mm -hmm. quote unquote awards season. So you'll see a lot of high profile photo, uh, movies sort of come out November, December to be top of mind as the various critics guilds or the critics associations, the guilds, and then the globes, the SAG awards, which is a guild critics choice. And then the Oscars come out. So movies tend mm -hmm. to be most recognized at the end of the year. So I was very disappointed about Jennifer Hudson in particular. I also was, um, there was a few films that I thought would be nominated for best picture that weren't. So I thought Tick, Tick, Boom would make it into best picture. I, was I thought surprised. so too. I was surprised that it didn't. I totally thought it would. Saw um, that movie twice, loved it. Yes, loved Andrew loved Garfield's performance in it, which he's getting recognized for it. But I was surprised that was not nominated. 
I agree. I was very surprised about that. Um, thrilled that Coda got its Best Picture nomination and the nomination for Troy Katzer. I was really <laughs> hoping for Marley Matlin and uh, Emilia Jones as well. I thought the cast was uniformly excellent. So I was thrilled when they won SAG for Best mm -hmm. Ensemble. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of others that were missing. I would say that in the supporting categories, I was surprised that Mike um, Feist wasn't nominated for West Side Story. I thought he was incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and I also was hoping for a West Side Story uh, double nomination for both Rita Moreno and Ariana DeBose. I'm thrilled mm -hmm. that Ariana DeBose is in, but I also thought Rita Moreno would be nominated. And then the other film that I was very surprised about was Belfast. I thought Catriona Balfe, who played the mother in Belfast, would be nominated for Best Supporting Actress as well. So that was a surprising mm -hmm. turn of events for me. I was surprised. I, I, I didn't get a chance to see it, um, but we have Oscar week coming out at the at the theater that I, that I happen to work at. Um, yeah. I need to check out Kristen Stewart's performance uh as uh diana is in the movie spencer um i heard uh, you know some reviews about it but i didn't hear a whole lot and so she being nominated for best actress was surprising to me um mm -hmm. another surprise for me um as of late in the re in the awards categories is jessica chastain in the eyes of tammy faye winning uh not only a sag but she won a critics choice the other night yeah. Do you think in a category has her, has Olivia Coleman for Lost Daughter, Penelope yeah. Cruz um, for the Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman being the Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart, as I mentioned, for Spencer. Do you think she is a, a sheer shot for uh, Best Actress in that category? I think it's a great question. I have a feeling she is. Yeah, I think all of the acting races are completely decided now. I mean, I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. So Oscar voting, I think, just started today. Um, mm -hmm. So all of the precursor awards factor in, but voting is starting this week and it's running for two weeks until the Oscars, which is the final Sunday in March. So my prediction is, I think you're right. I think Jessica Chastain will win Best Actress. And I ended up being in the audience at the Toronto Film Festival when The Eyes of Tammy Faye premiered and she did a screening. And there was like a thunderous applause for her when she came on mm -hmm. stage after the screening. So I think her performance in that role really impacted a lot of people. I actually thought pre-award season, I thought Kristen Stewart was going to be the one to beat. I saw Spencer at TIFF as well. And mm -hmm. she, there's moments where you see her behind the veil that Princess Diana wore at a certain moment. And you're mm -hmm. almost uncertain if it's actually live footage of Princess Diana or if it's Kristen Stewart as Diana. Like she disappears into the role. Very mm -hmm. impressive. So I kind of thought she would be in the running. And then when nomination season started and she wasn't nominated for the SAG award, I was surprised and thought maybe momentum was shifting. Nicole Kidman won the globe. So I thought maybe it was going to go to Nicole Kidman, but I think you're right. I think it's Jessica Chastain for the Oscar, Ariana DeBose. Um, I think it is Will Smith hands down for best actor. Mm -hmm. And I think it's Troy Kotzer for best supporting actor. So I think we've seen all four winners already decided in the acting races. I agree with you there. Nicole Kidman, I uh, did not get a, a lot when it, of, of support uh, from fans when it came from she was going to play the role of, of Lucille Ball. And I had to tell people, keep in mind, 
She's playing the role of a real person, not the show, yeah. you know, Lucy and, and, and um, Ricky Ricardo, that the behind the scenes, the dynamic of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, and I think that her and Javier Bardem did so well in that movie. I was blown away by both performances, especially Javier Bardem carrying on as, I mean, they both of them got lost in the role, especially Javier Bardem in uh, playing uh, Desi Arnaz. Uh, phenomenal job, but I'm with you. I agree with you on all, on every single one of the categories, it's major ones. Don't you go anywhere. The Heard That with Marisa Tigney podcast will be right back after a brief pause to hear from our sponsor. One of the amazing things that I love to do with my time, I love working out and serving in the community. And through that time, I have met some amazing people and I have met some extraordinary kids. And the one thing, believe it or not, that kids love and ask for is books. Because many of them I found that they, they absolutely love reading, which is absolutely incredible. Um, I am so proud that I've met an incredible man uh, by the name of Trevor Romaine. And he is an author. He's an illustrator that has the most amazing, amazing literature for kids and for educators and for teachers, as well as parents. You have to check out his books. You have to check out his digital downloads. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. If you go to TrevorRomaine.com, uh, T-R-E-V-O-R-R-O-M-A-I-N, no E at the end.com. Check out all of his materials that he has, all his books, all his literature and digital downloads. You can save 15%. All heard that listeners. If you check it out, save 15% at the end of your checkout. Use the code heard that H-E-A-R-D-T-H-A-T and save 15%. You, I'm telling you what, it is some of the best materials out there that can help children and families become happier, healthier, and more confident. So use the code heard that save 15% off at trevorromaine.com today. And welcome back to the heard that with Marisa Tigney podcast. What's your thoughts about uh, them deciding not to have it said that they were going to not have a certain amount of the categories make the live show. They said the documentary is short film editing, makeup and hairstyling, original score, production design, animated short, live action short, and sound. Uh, some ruffling in, in, the, in the waters there when uh, that announcement was made by the Oscars that that was not gonna make the live show. Yeah, I was very upset, but I think this is like the second or third time they've tried doing something like this where they want to take mm -hmm. a few categories off the telecast and due to industry backlash, the last minute they've added them back in. Um, I, listen, I think the Academy's always striving or ABC's always striving to strike the balance between celebrating the movies, but really getting the ratings in. And in the past few mm -hmm. years, the ratings for the Oscars have dropped year over year, but mm -hmm. I don't think the ratings have dropped year over year because you're celebrating the brilliance of film. Everyone tunes in because they want to celebrate the brilliance of film, but it's mm -hmm. also the nature of um, film going audiences. It's the nature of people watching TV live. Like that has shifted um, mm -hmm. with more streaming options available, more ways for people to consume stories and like engage in storytelling. People aren't gravitating to traditional television like they did in the past. So mm -hmm. naturally ratings for all programs are going down. And to ascribe the fact that ratings have dropped because the Oscars have these categories in for me makes no sense. It's a celebration of the best of Hollywood. Celebrate right. them on TV. 
Yes, I agree. I, I agree with that. And it's, we're, it, I, oh my gosh, I'm 100% agree with you with everything you said, because we're seeing a lot of shows. I mean, this one in particular, this is all about movies and such. But we're seeing a lot of shows go to streaming. And I think that's scaring a lot of the major networks because we're used to ABC, CBS, NBC. Uh, but we're seeing, you know, Hulu come into the picture and Paramount Plus and Netflix and HBO Max and the, the what they're doing, they're getting the secret sauce of people to jump off of regular normal cable television and going and watching all of their favorite shows now on streaming networks. I don't know what's going to happen with these major networks because of the fact, even though they're trying to lure back in the audience, we're seeing more and more of these shows and um, the power hitters of the, and the power of the streaming service just start to elevate. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think a lot of the artists who've gone to streamers like Shonda Rhimes, who went on a deal to Netflix, Ryan Murphy, who also went to Netflix, a lot of them have shared that the creative freedom that streaming services provide them as storytellers to tell a range of stories, to be able to tell the stories in the formats they want to tell them, uh, is very attractive. So traditional network television like ABC, NBC, CBS, for a long time, their television series order for a full season was 21 to 22 episodes. So Grey's mm -hmm. Anatomy, season 17 right now, I believe, that many episodes per season requires so much in terms of storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, with shorter seasons, you are able to experiment more. You're able to try more things. You're able to take more narrative daring risks. But I will say this, I will say, the battle between streaming and network, I think, is going to exist for a long time, because like you said, television preferences are changing, how people consume stories are changing. But network television also has a gem of a show in Abbott Elementary. Abbott Elementary is on ABC. It is exceptional storytelling. It's adapted for a second season. Yeah, got picked up for a second season. Tells a story about an inner city school, and it does so in a way that's inclusive and diverse and representative. Um, it does so with like intrigue and interest and humor and heart. And I think network television can take chances on exciting projects and do this work that people want to see. There's not a shortage of content. I think sometimes there's like, here's a formula that's worked for us in the past. Let me do seven other spinoffs. Abbott mm -hmm. Elementary is a beautiful example of how creativity and artistry and celebrating artists like Quinta Brunson, who are the creator stars of their show, will bring amazing content to network TV. So I think it's I think network TV will figure it out and do amazing things, but I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of competition from streaming that's happening right now. And it's, like you said, it's not going away and it's, it's getting bigger by the minute and it's giving the consumer, the person that's watching their favorite shows or those that heard about it because word of mouth, especially social media, when it talks about Ted Lasso, which yeah. I just started watching and I'm like, okay, I see why people love this show so much. I see why now. I'm like, how am I late to the Ted Lasso party? Love Ted Lasso so much. Yeah, Ted Lasso and Abbott Elementary have probably been two of my favorite. Ted Lasso, Abbott Elementary, Schitt's Creek have probably been my like comedy, comedy and heart like balm for the last three years. Just like those mm -hmm. shows have have brought me such joy. I think you're so right. I think the one thing about streaming that's also going to come to a head in some way is like, it's very expensive if you need mm -hmm. to subscribe for each platform separately every month. 
So how do we continue to engage in like storytelling um, that in a way that's also accessible and not cost prohibitive, right? So mm -hmm. I, I'm intrigued to see how television and streaming will transform in the context of accessibility, both in terms of people with disabilities and barriers, but accessibility also in terms of finances and cost. I think that's very important. Okay, so this is very exciting because Prasanna, like I said, he does, he has done everything. He's been a lawyer, he's been a consultant, he speaks, he writes, he's a social media strategist. And now we can add author. I am so beyond thrilled that you are coming out with your first book with your mom, uh, Made with Prima, a celebration of vegetarian cuisine. Uh, it's right now currently available for pre-sale. And when he talks about this, y'all are gonna want to definitely log on and order this cookbook because they're doing something great with the profits that are gonna be, uh, every single sale that's going from this book is going to the Canadian National Institute of the Blind. Talk about how this project with your mom started and why you both decided or who decided uh, that every sale of the book is gonna go to the CI CNIB. Thanks. Yeah, it, this has been a dream come true for my mom and me. So my mom immigrated to Canada from India in like 1973, 1972-1973. Um, and ever since she came here, she taught herself how to cook. So she learned a bit in India from her mom, but not much. So when she moved to Canada, she was in this country for the first time. She had never been on a flight before. She got here and realized, oh my gosh, I'm in this country where I'm completely disconnected from my culture. How do I share what means the most to me with the community that's now my home in Canada? Mm -hmm. And so for her, it was food. And she taught herself how to cook. She wrote letters back and forth to my grandmother. And in those letters, my grandmother would send her back recipes that she could try in Canada. And so a core part of her story was shared through food. So growing up after school, we would have our after school snacks. She would share our meals in the evening, which were always South Indian food, which is the part of India where our family's from. And for us, she told the story of my grandmother. She told the story of her upbringing. She told the story of her cousins, her aunts, her uncles through the foods she prepared. Cause she'd be like, this was so-and-so recipe or I heard about this or they taught me about the importance of this spice. And so every meal was a history lesson. We would sit at the table and connect around food, share stories about our day. And so then as I grew up, my relationship with my mom connected and coalesced around our relationship with creating food together. So when I first moved away to go to law school, I didn't know at all how to cook. And I came home that summer. I had lost a lot of weight because I hadn't known how to cook for myself. I wasn't doing very well health-wise. And so my mom said, you're not going back unless you learn how to cook. So ever since then, for the last, I guess that's now almost 20 years ago, we have been working on cooking together. She's she taught me recipes. I've experimented on things and tatted with her. And she's taught cooking classes. She's like volunteered and done all these charitable banquets. And so one of the things she said was like, I'd like to one day write down my recipes because people always ask for them and I'm giving it to them over the phone, but it would be nice to have this to leave behind. Mm -hmm. So when March 2020 struck, we, the pandemic sort of kept us all at home. And one of the things my mom said is like, I think now is the time. So she started recording voice notes 
She started like making calls to her dear friend Ishri Selvraj in Saskatoon. And Ishri typed up the first manuscript of the book based on those voice notes, those phone calls with my mother. I then took the manuscript, um, edited it, wrote the preface, got all the testimonials, wrote the story that threaded it together. And ultimately what we discovered through creating the book is that the recipe was a love letter. It was a love letter, the cookbook was a love letter. It was a love letter to everyone who had taught her how to cook. It was a, a love letter to every student who had took her class. It was a love letter to every person who had asked her for a recipe. It was a love letter for every community fundraiser that she cooked for. And for me, it was like, her name Prema means love. It's a Sanskrit word and it means love. And so we That's said so this cool. book is made with Prema, it's made with love. So ultimately, it's my mom's life story. It's her love story. And we're hoping to share it with the world through this book. I love the video that you have up on your social media, your IG yeah. of the, the video of some of the dishes. And as I'm watching the video, I'm like going, oh my gosh, these look so amazingly delicious. And it's just the colors and they're vibrant. And then you had a video up of you talking with your mother. And just how both of you all, you know, you celebrate and you growing up with, uh, with her as, as your mom and you're honoring her through uh, the celebration of the foods that you were your, that are your favorites, which I'm going to ask you, what are your favorites? But then she was talking about her passion and her love for cooking and her honor for cooking for her family. So all the recipes that are in there that she had came up with, what are your favorites uh, that you're excited to share with oh, everybody in that book? That's a great idea. So there's 308 recipes in the book. Um, you can, it's all the way from how to make your own spice powders to go into certain dishes to like oh, wow. the foundational curry. So you can do it completely from scratch or you can, she also tells you where you can get certain things at grocery stores pre-made if you want to start at step two instead of step one. Um, so everything is in there. She also does like a number of global recipes. So there's a soup section, there's a salad section, there's like um, an international cuisine section outside of South India. So you can try a number of things. I say mm -hmm. my favorites are in terms of the soups. I love the pumpkin soup, the roasted pumpkin soup. It is delicious. Ooh. I also love the carrot and beet salad. She cuts them into little cubes so they almost look like rubies. So you're mm -hmm. like, the salad is just a series of jewels in a bowl as I describe it. Um, I also love her, um, uh, she does these blueberry lemon squares that are delicious. Mm -hmm. She has rasam, which is like this entire chapter of like soups that are made either with lentils or tomato. And I always say, um, chicken noodle soup, it puts it to shame because like if you have a cold, if you're feeling under the weather, have a bowl of rustin with rice and you'll instantly feel better. So those okay, are probably see, right there. Those that live in, in cold states and I'm from a cold state originally yeah. and then I'm here in Texas and Texas has been acting up lately and let me tell you <laughs> what you described there is what I needed for a few days because I had like a head cold and I'm like okay I have never felt this way and so when I got a regular thing of soup it was just not hitting the way it was. And so you describing that soup to see, that's why I need to get this book because that right there, <laughs> if your mom, if your mom made it with love and her name means love and you swear by it right there, that's the antidote right there for sure. <laughs> I swear by it. I mean, it's very interesting, Marissa, you asked this question earlier because you said, oh, you're a writer, but you're a first time author. And I always knew I wanted to write a book. And mm -hmm. in all honesty, I never dreamed that my first book would A, be a cookbook and B, be co-written with my mom. 
I always thought I would either write a series of essays or it would be a book on diversity or it might be like a longer form novel, but I never anticipated it being a cookbook. And honestly, now looking back on it, it was the perfect, perfect, perfect book to write. It just spoke to me yeah. in this moment. Um, and I really hope that the love we put into it uh, sort of infuses every page as people get their books and start, start bringing the recipes to life. I think that is perfect as well. And I'm going to tell you why is because love right now is needed more than ever. And for me growing up, what brought families together was food. We would all gather at the table. Didn't matter if it was, you know, a holiday, a birthday that we were celebrating, or just because, you know, we were having people over. Food was the binding ingredient that brought people that you may have seen, like, throughout the week or people you haven't spoke to in a while or people that are visiting in town, you know, as soon as they walk in and you welcome them into your space and welcome them into your home and they look on the table or they look on the counter and they see all the variety of different food and the different colors, the different smells, it brought everybody together. And I think that it's so perfect for you to co-author this book and then named after your mother and your mother's name meaning love. And the amazing thing that you both are doing is that the, the proceeds of the sales are going to the CNIB. Tell people yeah. what the Canadian National Institute of the Blind is all about and why you uh, both chose the, the proceeds to go there. Yeah, for sure. So when we first started writing the book, mom was very clear. She's like, we've been given a lot in our lives. We don't want for anything. Uh, I want this book to not only be a love letter to people as they bring the recipes to life, but I also want this book to be an expression of love in its purest form in the world. And she said, what I mean by that is, I want all of 100% of our profits from the book to go to the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. And so when she told that to me, I started crying because for two reasons, one, both my mom and I have experienced vision loss. My mom has, um, uh, low uh, is a blind, uh, sorry, she's low vision and I'm legally blind. And um, that has created a number of barriers for us because the world is designed for people who see. Uh, and so the CNIB provided many vital services to me when I first became legally blind. They gave me access to supportive magnifying resources when I needed to use it for reading books. They provided me with my white cane when I needed that to navigate outside spaces gave me access to transit services when I needed to access public transit. And they've been with me every step of the way. So the CNIB provides services to people who are blind, low vision, experiencing vision loss from uh, Braille, uh, teaching services, employment and work placement services, access to guide dogs for guide dog programs. They do it all. And they do so much work for people in the community. And so for us, it was very important that the CNIB be the organization we provide to because they provided so much to us. And mm -hmm. yeah, we're thrilled to do it. And we're really excited about how this has resonated with people so far. And we're very excited to share the all of the profits with them. That's beautiful. That's absolutely wonderful. And like I said, I hope that a lot of people connect not only with you, but also connect with this cookbook uh, I'm so excited for everything that's happening for you and for your mom. Uh, how can people stay in contact with you? How can they follow you? How can they order this cookbook? 
Oh, for sure. So the cookbook was published by Rupi Kaur and Rocky Mutta. And Rupi Kaur is a New York Times bestselling poet. So three of her books, um, Milk and Honey, The Sun and Her Flowers, and Homebody are all New York Times bestselling books. And mm -hmm. she also tours with her poetry. Her tour will be starting in May, so highly recommend checking it out. So the book was purchased, uh, sorry, published by their imprint, Lakari Authors. Her and her mm -hmm. manager, Rocky Mucha, started that. So the book can be purchased at rupicore.com. So R-U-P-I. K-A-U-R.com. And Marissa will include this, I'm sure, in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, you can go there and then look for Made with Prema under Lakari Authors, or just Google Made with Prema Rupi Core, and you'll get to the page. Um, and you can purchase your book there. It's only currently being shipped in Canada and the US. So you can order your book and it'll be sent to you when sales start April 8th, but you can order now. And we encourage you to order now because pre-sales always give us a good indication of support for the book. So absolutely love if you order it now. Um, in terms of keeping in touch with me, uh, my Instagram handle is at Prasran, so P-R-A-S-R-A-N. My Twitter handle is at P-R-A-N-G-A-N-A-T-H-A-N. P and my website is my first and last name, so prasanaranganathan.com. But I will be sure to send all that Marissa's way if she wants to include it with the show notes. Oh, it'll be included because I want people to stay connected with you because you do so much good and so much great into the world. And the last, last bonus question I want to ask you, Praz, is that with everything that's going on in 2022, we're already in March uh, and, and so much going around the world and, you know, the shifting of the pandemic and, you know, many places still opening and people slowly going outside. And the unfortunate thing, I'm thinking of all the people in Ukraine uh, and many of my friends that are from there and their families are there from there uh, that I've connected with. Uh, we have a long year to go. And I've asked this with other people that have been on this show of what their hope is for the year. What is your hope for 2022? Mm. My hope for 2022 is we get to a place of peace and love and engagement with one another where we move away from violence and vitriol and harm and turn to love and compassion. And I say love and compassion, not from a space of inaction or acceptance or apathy, but love and compassion as an active word, as a word where when we see injustice, we speak out against it. When we see racism, we say no more and we get about the work of dismantling oppressive systems where we see that we each have a role to play regardless of our privilege, regardless of our status in life. We all have a collective part to play in ensuring that the world is a better place. And when we do have privilege, making sure that we speak out, especially then, because it should not be on the hearts of the people who face oppressive systems to speak out against it. It is important that all of us understand who is being harmed, how we are complicit in causing that harm, and how we can be active in making a change. So when I say I hope for more love and compassion, I hope for it in the purest form, and I hope for it in the most active form, one where we all take action every single day to make our world a better place. Oh my gosh, I adore you, my friend. Prasanna Ragathnathan, thank you so much for coming on the Heard That podcast. Y'all, he is a light. Please follow him. Please order this book, Made with Prima. Uh, I will make sure that I include that when we uh, edit this, uh, this show. 
Um, y'all are going to want to follow him. He, he's the good that is necessary in this world. Thank you, thank, you. thank you, Marissa. I mean, what you're doing through your work, through your platform. I mean, it is astonishing to me that we've only met in person once because I feel like you are my friend and I know that we are connected and I'm just grateful for the many ways in which you're sharing light at a time when the world needs more light than ever. So thank you for what you're doing as well. I thank you. Thank you for your kind words. And thank you, Heard That Nation, for listening or watching today. And as I always end the show, Take care, stay safe. We out of here. Be in the know of new episodes that are coming up on the podcast at heardthatwithmarisa.com. I'm also available on Instagram at Marisa Tigney Podcast, on Twitter at Lovely Marisa T, as well as Facebook on a social media page, Heard That With Marisa Tigney. I appreciate your continued support. 